The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about living and working in a world where the wired, the tired, and technology converge. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, and we've got a first-time event for our show today. I'm recording this episode from the 2019 Cornerstone Convergence Conference in San Diego, California. Uh, my co-host, Keith Compagna, who usually joins me, uh, won't be here today due to logistics, but I'm sitting right beside the new CMO and strategy officer, Cornerstone On Demand, Heidi Spirgy. And I'm so excited she was able to take some time from her super busy schedule at the conference uh, to be with me. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you so much, Ira. Excited to be here. And I think I blew the name, right? <laughs> After we just practiced <laughs> it's all good. with Spirgy. Yeah, sorry about that. We just practiced it beforehand. <laughs> no beforehand. Worries at all. Hey, so before we jump in, uh, this is, you're brand new here. I am. Um, this is uh, May. Is yeah. it yeah, yeah, maybe a couple is, weeks? This is uh, week I'm on week three and a half. Oh wow! So so, quite, quite so really excited to have you. So <laughs> this is you. the indoctrination. Uh, this is, is. Maybe this is part of the onboarding process at Cornerstone <laughs> from now on. You, you get you get stuck with me. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you got here, and uh, you know why why Cornerstone. I mean, because you've, you've got an impressive background. I mean, you came from uh, Marcus Buckingham, which will probably be part of your story, but, uh, which is an impressive group, and, but now you're a cornerstone. So how did you get here? <laughs> yeah, so I actually call myself a, a, an accidental HR technologist. I have my undergraduate degree in uh, political science and women's uh, studies and my graduate degree in art history. And always said my entire childhood to my dad, who led sales organizations all his life, that business was boring. I had no interest in going into business. Um, and I honestly had no um, in interest in growing up in, as a child in technology. And I found my way accidentally to my first job in HR technology when I was 23, working at Swiss Bank Corporation in their HRIS um, department. And I think from that moment on, what I, what I learned was how deeply creative the intersection between technology and human behavior is, and that there's a wealth of possibilities around how we can change people and people's lives through technology. Um, so to me, I think that's been the constant throughout my now 25 years in this, in this space that continues to interest me to look at based on where technology is today and where it's going and the potentials that it, it's opening up, how can we impact people's lives and business results to actually create meaningful change? So that's really been the, the journey and the, 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 com the common thread throughout my, my 25 years. After, um, H after my uh, stint at Swiss Bank Corporation, I went to PeopleSoft for um, about eight years in a combination of product strategy and product marketing roles, leading their talent management suite of products. And that was the moment where I really, really deeply began to understand the potential of technology to be really transformative to not just businesses, but also people. Um, we spend so much of our time and so much, so much of our lives at work and what drives me is thinking about how can we make the work experience more meaningful to people. Um, so 
that uh, after PeopleSoft, I co-founded my own business, Knowledge Infusion, with a gentleman by the name of Jason Averbuck, um, who's now running a company, LeapGen. I'm sure many people have heard of of Jason. And um, that was a fantastic experience. It worked with Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies around the world, like Starbucks, like Target, like Morgan Stanley, like Clorox, like Yahoo!, like Franklin Templeton, um, on defining their talent management strategy and how do you build an agile and nimble strategy, talent strategy to support the business strategy and in, in a very cohesive and unified way as opposed to very fragmented. And um, think back to 10, 15 years ago, most companies had a recruiting strategy and they had a learning strategy, probably didn't have much of a performance strategy, um, and helped these organizations think more holistically around their talent and what to, and talent as a unified thing is a supply and demand function in order to feed the business and engage employees um, and did that for eight years sold it to a Perio then a large um, Salesforce um, systems integrator and they acquired our company for our HCM expertise and built out a workday and cornerstone practices so I actually um, to come back to your question around Cornerstone, I actually have known Adam Miller and the Cornerstone team for 15 years now. Okay. So I we worked very closely with Cornerstone at Knowledge Infusion. In fact, Cornerstone was one of our first clients, believe it or not. <laughs> back when, when Cornerstone was very small and didn't have a marketing team, they hired us to do their marketing. So that's oh, how wow. I first got oh, to wow. know Adam. And we shared a, a, a real common view on um, talent and the possibility for technology and what, how it can make an impact on, on people and work. Um, so I, had, I stayed at Aperio for two years, and then I went to the Marcus Buckingham Company, as you mentioned, right. which was fantastic. And the Marcus Buckingham Company really, for me, um, was an exciting time because it, it really, I think, is, a, is representative of what's happening in the industry and the market today that I find really exciting. And that is this shift in focus from building tools and technologies for HR and for the business to building tools and technologies for employees and managers. And when you sh- when you make that shift, when you change the lens, a whole new wealth of possibilities opens up. And that's, I did that for two and a half years at the Marcus Buckingham Company. And um, at that point, I then took a two-year sabbatical, which was amazing, life-changing. I would highly recommend to anyone who has the opportunity to do that, um, to do so, and had a wonderful time, did a lot of personal travel and great time with the family. And Adam came knocking. He's been actually trying to recruit me for like 15 years, like over and over (laughs) again. And he came knocking, and the timing was quite good. Um, And it was good because... I do think that we're at a really interesting point in the market right now, and I liken it to maybe 15 years ago and where we were with talent management, and we saw this early stage where we started to see a lot of innovation in individual point solutions across the talent management continuum, and then we began to realize that the power was really in a unified suite, and we've seen over the last two to two to three years, a proliferation of point solutions in the talent experience world serving employees and managers differently. And what we're starting to be, I believe we're at the, we're at the cusp of a consolidation because at the end of the day, employees need a single simplified unified mm-hmm. system yep, to interact sure. with. Um, and they need to, 
they need to interact with it where they actually work in their in their work tools. So um, Cornerstone's a natural fit. Uh, you know, Cornerstone's already done. I've known the team for a long time, and we've already done a lot in this space. Obviously, leaders in talent management, and I um, and starting to lead in talent experience. Yeah. So have you? So we're we're here. You know, we're in a, in a room to the side. Um, we'll see if we get any people barging in from the, from the conference. But there's about two thousand people here, I, I believe. Uh, at Cornerstone Convergence mm-hmm. uh, annual yep. meeting. Uh, is this your first Convergence? Is this the first? No, uh, I actually, um, believe it or not, I actually keynoted a Convergence probably about 10 years ago. So one of the earlier, maybe eight years ago. So um, I, and I've been here as a partner multiple times. Um, so I've probably, this is probably my fourth or fifth okay, Convergence. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so you've but seen first, the evolution but of first these, time right? on, on this side of the, the fence. So it's, it's very different. And we just had the keynote this morning, and I think my, my team killed it, the, the marketing team. And uh, so it's really a fun and proud moment to, to be here um, as part of the organization as opposed to a partner. Yeah. And, and as an attendee there, as sitting yeah. there, I mean, I, I, last year was my first one. Mm-hmm. And, and they, uh, Adam opened it um, mm-hmm. With this uh, millennial, with the Gen Z, uh-huh. uh, I don't know if, if you if you were here I was last not year. Here last year no. It's a great, great video, uh-huh. and I've actually asked permission, and I actually use that because it talks about the learning experience, and it talks about a couple young kids of how they like to learn, uh-huh. and, and that's a, a big issue. Oh, good. So I was so excited, and uh, last year my wife couldn't attend, but I, I came down. and I said, "You got to get up for this. You know, oh, you, you got to be there." Good. So it was it was really good. You're, you're right. You're, uh, congratulations. You actually your, your team. Killed it. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I can't take credit for it. I've been here three yeah. weeks, and the, it, the team is great. Yeah, but it was really good. But there was a couple of things. You mentioned Adam, and there was a couple of things Adam's mentioned, and, and I think these were key statistics. I, I took lots of images and or, or pictures and things and tweeting them out and, and, and uh, getting a little bit of buzz with it. Um, but there was a couple stats that he mentioned, uh, which fits into this whole story, because I, I think the challenge is just by listening to you, uh, I'm certainly passionate about it. A lot of Everybody here is passionate about it. But I'm speaking around the country, and you know I'm in big cities. I was in New York City. I was in the Sherm Talent in Nashville. So you're in the people that are in the buzz. But then a couple of weeks ago, I spoke in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, and then I was a couple of weeks before I was in Wilkesbury. And these aren't you know big hubs, technology hubs. Um, we've got a lot of generalists. They're struggling not only to find people but to keep people, mm-hmm. and. I, again, sometimes these things pop up to, to emphasize how difficult it is, how expensive it is, how challenging it is uh, in the background. So he mentioned one of the one of the stats this morning was high performance employees deliver four hundred percent more than their counterparts. The, the other side of that is if you don't develop your people, which is the biggest challenge, people say, well, if we can keep these people, we'll develop them. Well, if you don't develop them, then they're going because mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody has a job. If you don't develop your people. It's 12 times more likely that they'll leave. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, w- within that, um, we, we can talk about the future of work and the speed of change and the speed of technology. What are some of the things that you're really excited about in, in helping companies um, train and develop? And, and not only, I guess there's two parts of that. A lot of companies do invest in training managers, but they don't invest in the employees unless they stick around for a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which it sort of becomes this rabbit hole. Right. So what, what are some of the, the things that you see that are, are most exciting? I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you get up in the morning? And, and we talked really about, yeah. you know, being the introvert, extrovert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know, by the way, I, I just, to, to divert a little bit, we'll come back to that. As you're talking, there's so many parallels. 
um, passionate about leadership. Um, I had a choice of getting an MBA or a, or a master's in leadership. I, uh -huh. I chose the master's in leadership. Uh, you know, that, that was one. Uh, future of work is obviously what I've been, yeah. I, I've been yeah. talking about it for the last uh, 20 years. You know, I, I came up with the perfect labor storm like in the late 90s as, as a theme. Uh -huh. And because of the convergence of demographics and technology and economics, um, and then we, we ended up both being introverts, <laughs> introverts exactly. which That's is why funny. we're not on TV, right? <laughs> That's why, yeah, I was happy you know, there was why, no camera. <laughs> yeah, why, why we're doing the podcast. And, and it's like after this, we're both going to go back and take a nap. Right. <laughs> because, again, because we're both pretty high energy at the moment. Um, but going back to my original question is, you know, what's that one thing that takes an introvert and gets passionate about it and you, you're willing to throw all your energy in there? What, what's, what are the things that, that uh, you know, drive you? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I, um, I really believe that there's a connection between um, making people's work lives better. And by better, I mean feeling seen, feeling known, feeling understood, feeling valued, feeling invested in, feeling like they're valued for their uniqueness and without bias, that they have the opportunity to grow. I think um, the desire to grow and be your best self is a, is a human instinct. And it's something that, unfortunately, from a work perspective, we have not we as a culture have not invested sufficiently in. And I think that human beings have had a tendency to shrivel at work and not become their best selves. And I think that to me, if you can help people grow and really become the best version of themselves, much like we do as parents try to help our children become the best version of their, themselves. If we can do that as, as in employers and as managers and as leaders to help really nurture that potential in individuals. I believe that people ultimately at the end of the day not only perform higher for their business but are higher um, achieving human beings and better human beings and bring their, the, their best selves not only to work but also outside of work and that we can drive positive change in the world. So to me, it sounds very lofty, but I fundamentally believe there's a, a connection between what employers do and how they treat their people and at the end of the day, the kind of world that we live in. And that is probably the, the deepest value that I have in terms of why do I, why do I keep doing this for 25 years? It's not about driving operational efficiencies of business, around business excellence. It's really about trying to help humans at work grow, become their best selves, and, um, and therefore also be happier. I mean, there's a, you know, we, employee engagement is such a hot topic in the industry. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, we can use all kinds of fancy terms and measures to measure engagement, but there's a level of contentment and fulfillment and connectedness that is in and around engagement. And if you can help people feel that way and feel valued and connected and seen, then they're going to grow as people and become better people and, and, and leave the office at the end of the day or log off of their computer if they're working from home or and, and be bring more of themselves to their family and their communities and we're going to have a better world. Sounds like Pollyanna and apple pie, but I... I I, I believe it. I really do. And I actually, you know, bringing it back to what drives me and why am I here, you know, I actually think technology is 
can be a humanizing factor and not a dehumanizing factor. I mean, all you have to do is look at dating apps and you look at the percentage of people who are married and happily married mm-hmm. ba- that have met people online. And to, to as an example of something where it, that's actually creating, the dating apps have created incredibly meaningful connections. Of course, you might have to, you know, swipe right or left. I don't know how it works, but I'm, I, I've never used it, but so I'm happily married. So, um, you know, you just that like, sounds like... For some people, that doesn't seem to stop. So. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, just, yeah, just read the headlines. Every you may day, have to a swipe... A lot of the politicians, right? <laughs> right, exactly. You may have to swipe right a million times until you find the connection. But that being said, we know that technology can actually, um, when it's used right, actually create real and meaningful connections. And I just have to look at my sons. I have two, I have two boys, 18 and 19, and look at their um, interaction and relationship with technology. And I struggled when they were younger, and they started making friends online. Mm-hmm. And I thought, scary that, as a parent. Yeah, and you think that's not a real friendship. And it took me a while to really overcome my bias because of my age. I, I didn't grow up making friends online <laughs> um, to really begin to acknowledge that that friendships and real meaningful connections can be made through technology. So then if you bring that back into the business world and, and you think about how do you, when I join a team as an example, or I'm new to a company, or I'm new to a project, or I'm a first-time manager, how can I quickly understand my teammates how do I make myself known and understood how do I tell my story internally and build my reputation and and reveal my strengths my interests my passions my skills to the organization and even things like learning preference or communication style so that we can be better co-workers together and the fact that I have a Bernese mountain dog and two kids and clearly you know you and I in the last uh, 45 minutes have found some commonalities how might we do that through technology so to excel Accelerate those connections. So, I, again, talking about technology and humanization, um, my talk at the SHRM um, annual in just a couple of weeks in Vegas is keeping the H and HR. And it, it hit the buzz, and then I just saw somebody, so it seems to be, that's the concern, which is, is almost anatoma to um, what you hear about automation. Mm-hmm. Is that you know the headlines read technology is going to throw all humans out of business? We're not going to have those. And and one of the, one of the things they talk about is, as far as the backdrops, is that you know the statistics that fifty percent of all jobs are going to be eliminated. And I can't refute the McKinseys and some of these other people have done tremendous research. Uh, that may be in time that some jobs are going to go out of existence. But the the reality is that uh, and and I I think this will hold true. And I want your opinion that about two-thirds of all jobs will be one-third automated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that doesn't mean you're out of work. And as I say during my presentations, that doesn't mean you get to go home at the, at, after 24 hours and mm-hmm. get a full paycheck. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it right. doesn't make your life easier. Uh-huh. It means that you're going to need new skills for, for those, the, it, in order to automate part of your job and still keep that human um, component to it. Mm-hmm. You're going. People are going to have to learn new skills, mm-hmm. uh, and especially in management, but also as individual. Um, I guess that's what you're talking about. I yes. mean, when, when you're talking yeah. about the human part. So, how? I mean, uh, that's challenging. I mean, mm-hmm. how? How are we going to? We have a tough time training people for certain jobs. We're talking. Um, well, 150 people in the workforce, two-thirds of those, 100 million people. We have to upgrade their skills. 
and I know you're on a mission to do it, and Cornerstone's on a mission to do it, but it's a huge undertaking. Where, where does a company start? You know, not, not everybody's a Cornerstone client yet, mm-hmm. um, but where, where do companies start? Where's the direction of that? What, what, are, what are some of the, the, the things that need to be implemented today that, that people can walk, yeah. you know, can So I, I think it starts um, at first in defining your, and understanding based on your business strategy, understanding where you're going to get most leverage and what are those skills that you need to focus on. And for most organizations that are, are having this massive um, shift in terms of the skills that they need as they, be, as they um, move to an era of higher level of automa- automation or, or digital, it's really looking at those and identifying those skills and those jobs that are going to shift first and identifying and building out a, a, con, a content and learning um, a strategy to attack those skills. Secondarily, and probably just as importantly, it's looking at what are the skills, therefore, or the um, strengths that are going to be needed as those jobs become more automated that all employees are going to need. So things like creativity, things like empathy. So some of these professional skills that will never be automated that become ever increasingly important as some of the as some of the job related skills and the repetitive skills um, become automated by machines or computers and how do we then what do, what what is that what are we asking of our employees in order to step into this new, less known space, more gray space, to be able to grow and stretch, and really looking at how do we help them navigate. And these, these include cultural values, they include professional skills, so really focusing on that. So, that. so I think it starts with identifying the change that's happening, identifying what are the, the, what are the most important new skills, truly, truly skills, job-related skills that are gonna be needed, but then also, you know, identifying from what, how do you develop, ensure that you're developing the professional skills, the personal skills, and the cultural values across your organization. Once you do that, I'm a strong believer, and this goes back to the question around what excites me. Um, the way that people learn is, well, I should say, the way that people learn is not is not changing. The way that we ha- the opportunity we as an industry have to deliver training in a way that is natural to the way people learn because the way people yeah, learn exactly, right. that is that's hardwired in our brains right. that is human that is biological not, not the old stand up in front of a classroom no. for half a and day that, and, and, and we know that didn't work but unfortunately in the past that was really all, the only, only was, well, teaching the only modality skills. we had it was teaching a technical right. skill and, and it was it was, all, it was the only modality we had but fortunately today with the power of um technology, we can not only deliver d- deliver learning online, which we've been doing for a while, but much more importantly, we can deliver it in bite-sized chunks based on the available tension span of the average adult. We can deliver it in a personalized way that's relevant to you in the flow of work, so at the moment you need it. So, um, and, and that is, if I, I as a learner, that's the only way, quite honestly, the only way that I would learn, because as busy as everyone is at work, no one has the, I think, the um, fortitude or the self, the discipline to say, oh, it's my time for learning today. I'm going to log into a different system. That's very, very difficult to accomplish. So the more that we can bring learning in an accessible way that's personalized into the systems that people are already using, like Salesforce, like Outlook, like um, the Atlassian tools and Jira and Box, the, or Slack, the more compelling it's going to be because it's, it's that information is there um, where people are already working. So I think that, that to me is really exciting um, because that means learning can be everywhere. 
And that is once we have learning baked into the fabric of our work, that's when I think as a, as a society we can really accelerate skills development. You are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm here with my guest, Heidi Spierge from Cornerstone On Demand, the new CMO, less than one month. Uh, so really fortunate to have her here. We've been talking about the future of work, the future of learning, the future of HR, the future of talent management, uh, and we're just getting started. So we've got that, but we are uh, going to take a quick break uh, and hear from our sponsors, Success Performance Solutions and Job Fight. Stay right where you are. We will be right back in two minutes. Behind everything you're searching for is something you're actually looking for. When you search with the real Yellow Pages, you get more than a contractor. You get a whole new curb appeal. It's not just getting directions to a dry cleaner with YP.com. It's rescuing an old favorite from the back of the closet. And it's more than finding a locksmith with YP.com on your mobile. It's getting to sleep in your own bed. Whatever it might be, there are more ways to search and more ways to find exactly what you're looking for with the real Yellow Pages, YP.com, and YP.com on your mobile, only from AT&T. What's up, everyone? This is Keith from the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, powered by Jobvite. Jobvite knows career paths are made by people, not by open job requisitions. Jobvite's platform ties recruitment marketing directly to applicant tracking and onboarding, creating continuous candidate engagement that effectively connects recruiters with qualified passive candidates. Used by over 50,000 recruiters placing over 1 million jobs, Jobvite's platform impacts every company in every industry. Check us out at jobvite.com. Listen carefully. Up to 9 out of 10 job candidates visiting your company career page leave before completing an application. You heard that right. 90% of candidates who want to apply for a job at your company don't. That's just plain crazy, especially in today's tight labor market. Candidate experience matters. Stop turning candidates away. Let Success Performance Solutions help. Call us at 800-803-4303 or register at successperformancesolutions.com slash W4CY. Schedule a no-obligation consultation and get special access to insider tips to recruit faster and hire smarter. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf. Uh, my co-host, Keith Compagna, is missing today uh, due to logistics. We're out at the 2019 Cornerstone Convergence Conference, and I'm here with my very special guest, the Chief Marketing Officer and Strategy Officer, uh, Heidi Spierge of uh, Cornerstone On Demand. When we left uh, off, we were talking about some of the skills, this gap that if, if two-thirds of all jobs are going to be one-third automated, um, that we're going to need some, people are going to need new skills. Um, individuals are going to need them. Managers are going to need them. I, I had this great quote, and I, don't, I, I didn't write it down here, um, but it was about how are managers going to, this isn't necessarily your question, by the way, but how are managers going to be able to manage algorithms? <laughs> That's a great question. Because <laughs> that's what a machine yeah. is. When yeah. we're talking about AI, it's like, how equipped are your managers to manage an algorithm? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and it's very interesting because it's, I would, I would say, so there, I had a conversation yesterday with um, John Sumzer and uh, we talked about how 
one of the risks that is, I think, pretty um, pretty significant to even HR departments today is they're buying software that is just riddled with algorithms and how much do you trust the machine? And what do you need to know about the machine? And when do you need to test the machine and the results? And what if you have different data sets, underlying data sets oh, well, between, two, di- problem, between yeah. two different people and the same algorithm is applied to them? And how many- so there, there is an awful lot of, I think, uh, development that's needed to really understand not only not only the algorithm itself, but how to how do you actually um, treat the data or react to the data, and how do you use it in the context of human decisions? So um, I think we all, as human beings, strive for something called some t- type of objective truth, and it's very easy to fall prey to thinking that well, if a machine did it, it. It is somehow objective or better than what an, what a human being would decide. I don't think we're that far there. I don't think we're that far no, along when, from an algorithm perspective. I think there's too many um, blank spaces and data quality issues to really fully trust the algorithm. And I think managers, we need as we as HR professionals, I think we need to when we roll out tools with new algorithm based data sets and analytics, we need to ensure that we're um, coaching our managers appropriately on how to use how to use it well, and, and I think there's two general themes with this and we're, we're not anywhere and everybody misses we're nowhere mm-hmm. close to the uh, to, to artificial general intelligence right so we're really kind of in an mm-hmm. advanced predictive analytics yeah but I, I think there's two principles that that people don't understand and I know a lot of companies say oh we're getting a new HI a new, new ATS or new mm-hmm. new HA HIRS or a new learning and development system mm-hmm. and or we're signing up for this new yeah. this program and when they do it um, they're, they're looking for that to fix the problem mm-hmm. but it's still the age-old problem of garbage in go garbage out yeah. <laughs> yep. you know, and, and the other part of that which is what we're talking about with artificial intelligence is technology has no ethics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so yep. I, I think it's true yes. that that technology has gotten to the point where the the and the the what they're predicting what it predicts the 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 analysis is is accurate mm-hmm. but if the data is only partial or incorrect yep. or biased is who's guiding that who's who's even questioning that yeah and we're not in a we don't have a very one of the things i measure and we talked about this before the show is you know we we test um, we provide tests mm-hmm. to companies. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found over the last few years is a measure of curiosity. How mm-hmm. curious are things? Mm-hmm. And it's shocking because we'll, we, we do a lot for, with companies looking at leaders. Mm-hmm. And they'll go, well, this, you're, you're saying this person kind of runs by rote. And I'm going, exactly. But they have this impressive resume and they just you know, transformed a company from $10 million to $500 million in three years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, on principle... But they don't ask questions. Interesting. It, yep. It's sort of they rely on the way they did it, uh-huh. and it happened to work. Uh-huh. But we're, things are changing so fast that that model doesn't work yep. anymore. So if they achieved this five years ago, it's, they'd have to do this in a year now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's the old, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah, they're headlines. So, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. rely on their past. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a very, I think it's a very dangerous um, 
leadership model to try it, it, more than ever today because of how quick, how fast the, the pace of change is is, is occurring. And uh, you know, I always counsel people to. I use the term a beginner's mind. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a it's a Buddhist principle where the it's it the, it, it basically is the greatest risk that we have. It's because when our it's when our brain shuts down to learning is when we tr- when we adopt the expert's mind. And the second you you second you believe you're an expert is when you stop being open to new ideas and creating change and you start to just go into that repeat mode and so I always I always counsel my team members to try to maintain and foster a beginner's mind which is just filled with creativity you see lots of possibility you're extremely open-minded and I think that's a I think that's a skill or a trait that is more important than ever today because of the pace of change. Mm -hmm. So if you lead with your expertise and you become too comfortable with your expertise, I think you're missing a big opportunity. I'm the first person to admit all of my sort of um, uh, blind spots as a leader. And I think that's really important. And those blind spots you have to be cognizant of. I think very transparent about bring in teams around you who can actually you know fill um, fill those blind spots, but also just the awareness of it because that means leading with that means that means thinking and leading with a beginner's mind because I am not going to bring just all of my assumptions to the which table, which is very similar to um, and I wrote a part of this in my book, but fascinated by your work um, with mindset mm-hmm. by Carol Dweck. Oh yeah, Are you familiar with yeah. that? Yeah, with growth mindset and fixed mindset. Yeah, very similar. And right. it's like you know I can kick myself now because uh, you, you went I went through part of my life with the fixed mindset uh-huh. is that you know I was at the top of my class and I did things and you know and, and prior career which you didn't know actually my first career I was a dentist oh really <laughs> <Yeah>. oh interesting <laughs> yeah. and, and and I left I left when I was you know after 18 years uh-huh. and people said well what are you going to do now it was like the only thing that I apparently knew how to do was uh-huh. fill and drill, <laughs> or as I say, fill, drill, That's and build. That's so but, interesting. You know, yeah. And and I said, you know what I loved doing, and and I, I said this in my TED talk, and it sort of stuck with me as the moniker, mm-hmm. is I loved everything about dentistry, but dentistry, <laughs> I, I, I I loved working with the people, uh-huh. um, I loved the marketing part of uh-huh. it, I loved helping influence people uh-huh. to have better health. Um, I was fascinated. We were, we were, I was computerized in 1987. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, yeah, we computerized the office, the, the administration part. We brought those cam- the video cameras in in 1991. And I was like, uh, what's next? I mean, yeah. this, to me, it was about teeth. Uh-huh. And, and I, I love my dental friends and, and dentist friends because they're still passionate, they're still practicing. But I had to get out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I mean, it was just... The, yeah. and, and part of it, what people were concerned, it's like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, let's see. I've got good critical thinking skills. I've got good, good, good interpersonal communication. I've got good business acumen. <laughs> I can yeah. build relationships. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm going to do. And there was a whole group of people that got it. Mm-hmm. And there's other people felt that, well, what's wrong? Why are you leaving? Why mm-hmm. are you quitting? Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the breaking point of getting beyond that fixed mindset that, you don't always have to be perfect and you don't have yeah. to be building and you can take some risks. And fortunately, I had a little bit of risk taking <laughs> on my side, yeah. but that's not the way it is, especially in corporate well, yeah. America, because if you make a mistake, I'll be out the door. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, a, that's a, a great point. And one of the things I try to always foster with my teams is, is that risk taking mindset. And I actually, um, there's a great book called by Steve Farber called The Radical Leap. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you are familiar with it. If you haven't read it, it's amazing. Um, and the, the, 
A in LEAP stands for audacity, which basically means you lead with audacity, which means you have to, you have to mm-hmm. take risks and you have to be embrace change and, and shake things up and do things differently. And so it's really, really important as leaders for us to create and foster a really safe environment where people do feel comfortable taking risks. Because I think risk-taking is more important than ever in our world today. And if you look at any company that's really you know gone through massive hockey st- stick growth or has had radical um, success over a long sustained period of time like a Nike it is through taking risks I mean they're bold they're bold companies and some things fail so I think it's really really important to have that that app that, that build a culture um, where people feel comfortable to fail because if you don't accept failure as part of your growth strategy you're never going to grow um, and uh, you know when you were talking about your your career shift it reminded me of so I think one well of you had a similar career shift when you said I forgot yeah, to mention yeah. that earlier on it's so, like so, you yeah. went for political right, right. Yeah. I went from art history I was actually working <laughs> as a um, an art curator here in Los Angeles for the second largest collector of contemporary art <laughs> and here you're at Cornerstone right <laughs> yeah and um, I went and I I started working at Swiss Bank Corporation because I met my husband who was Swiss, had to get a job oh, okay. in Switzerland at a company that where the primary business language was English. So I sent my resume out. I was 23 years old and really parlayed my experience that I had had setting up a database to track art the art collection of Peter Norton and Peter Norton was the founder of Norton Antivirus Norton Commander so he was a technology guy so I kind of parlayed that tech my association with Peter I worked directly for him and my experience with the database into getting a job in in the HRIT department and I think what made me good there in that role was because is exactly because I didn't know a lot about technology. I didn't know the current state of HR systems and HR software. And I just thought as a human being and thought logically around what's possible and how can we solve a data quality issue. And I said, well, why would we want HR to solve the data quality issue? The only person who knows the answer are the employees and the managers themselves. So why don't we build a tool that gives them the power to make the changes to the data themselves. And this predated self-service in the HCM world. But I, because I had that beginner's mind, I asked a question and we ended up building a tool um, that, innate, that empowered the, the employees and managers at Swiss Bank Corporation to take ownership of their own data. And I think that's just a great example of the beginner's mindset. If you operate within the constraints of what's known and what systems do, you 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 lose that creativity to serve to solve problems differently and then again when i when i left peoplesoft and started my own consultancy with with jason and co-founded it um we had never been consultants and the the company wound up growing and being very successful and um i think one of the reasons we were successful is because we didn't simply take and adopt models that other consultancies had mm-hmm. built out right. over time. And in fact, we didn't even use models because models tend to, when you when you start to deliver services through baked models, they start to become copy paste, copy and paste, and not personalized right. enough. And I remember probably one of my proudest moments. It was a weird moment at first, but it was a proud moment in my career. Was I was in the middle of delivering and facilitating a workshop, consulting workshop around talent strategy at HealthNet. And in the middle of that, the head of um, compensation and HR systems 
just interrupted me. She said, what is it called that you do? And I, of course, I, got, I panicked. I was like, uh, <laughs> consulting, I think. <laughs> and she said, it's just so different from any consult, any, you work so differently sure. than any other consultants I've worked with in the sure. past. And at first that made me feel uneasy, but you know, quickly realized actually it was, I mean, and then she said, it's, it's so much more valuable and it's so fresh. And, and I think that's the beginner mindset. It's because I didn't come in with a model and a predefined definition or notion of what consulting looked like. And I looked deeply at the business problem and the need of the customer and did a really good job listening and then used my creativity. So it comes back to creativity and trying to not make assumptions. And, and as you were talking, there's a million thoughts going through my head. But, you know, one of them was, we, actually, we have an assessment that actually measures two things. And it's fascinating because I've done it on a couple management teams. And it looks at, one is innovation. But it doesn't necessarily mean their ability to innovate. It just, it's really an open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. That they have that, ex- that curiosity export. And, but the other, it only measures two things, innovation mm-hmm. and uh, risk-taking. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and we, there, there was a group that I, I still remember this. It was a group, and it was a, they, were, they were really at top of the game, and they were in HR, they were PEO. Mm-hmm. And we did this, and they, were, they said, We're the leader. We're sort of lot. We're losing our touch. Maybe we don't have enough people. What kind of training do we need? Or, uh-huh. or do we need different people on our team? And we, we looked at it, and they were risk takers, but their ability to actually be open minded. They lost that, uh-huh. that, that uh-huh. going back to that mindset, because they, they, they stopped looking, because they also had, you know, it's like, we need to think outside the box. And they said, no, you need to, th- there is no box. Yeah. You, you already <laughs> made a bad assumption. Uh-huh. I like <laughs> you know, that. You, you know, it's, it's your assumption is, there's a box, mm-hmm. and we need to think outside it. Mm-hmm. And you go, what box? What box? What box? And uh, and honestly, coming into this role as chief marketing and strategy officer, it's sort That's of that's an interesting combination, a, by the way. <laughs> it, it, yes, and it's but it is actually the only combination I would have um, I would have come into because well, number one, I don't have a traditional CMO background. I have been in and around marketing. I did product marketing ages ago at PeopleSoft. The world of marketing has changed dramatically, as we all know. I would never consider myself a marketing expert, per se. Um, but what I what I am is an industry expert, and I understand our buyer, and I do think I excel in having the, a natural a beginner's mind, and I love to learn, and I'm very curious. So I, 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 to me, the challenge of coming in and understanding what the opportunity for Cornerstone is, understanding our, the market and the buyer, and then looking with bringing the beginner's mindset to the field of marketing, I think is really interesting. The combination of the two, I can't think with, um, and maybe it's because of you know having founded my own company, but I can't think about marketing without thinking about strategy, business strategy, and I can't think about business strategy without thinking about how you market it. Well, They're that's so the deeply. That's, that's yeah. what happens so often yeah. that the silos. Yeah. It's like, here's our plan, and then you don't communicate it to yes. sales or anybody it, else. So, exactly. So or really if, the plan, if the plan can't be to- told in a compelling way to the market, then it's not probably not necessarily a good strategy, vice versa, simply telling a story in a silo without influencing strategy. That to me isn't a very interesting intellectual challenge. Yeah. So it's a. I think it for me. It just. It might. I think the two are really interesting together because it's determining what is our purpose, what value do we serve, where are we going, how do we tell that story through multiple channels, 
and then how do we make the changes in the business to actually execute against that? And that's, to me, what um, the role is about. Okay. So from a, from a, a, a management picture, you, you kind of summed it up. I think we, what I'd like to do, and just in the few mm -hmm. remaining minutes that we have, is kind of circle back and talk about the skills. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've got some young kids, mm -hmm. um, and as they grow up, what, what's... We, we briefly touched on them, so obviously the ability to take risk, having that beginner's mindset, we talked about curiosity, critical thing. If you were to advise, what skills do you want to make sure that your kids have um, growing up to, to be prepared for this world we live in? I mean, what, and, and that probably fits into what skills are you teaching in the, in the cornerstone model? Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as yeah. Well. Uh, it, it's great, and there's so many. As a as a mom of an 18 and 19 year old, and I see them going off to, to college and into their their first meaningful summer internships. There's there's so many things I'm trying to impart um, yeah. to and, them. And I'll give you a hint. And this came out uh -huh. is because the focus is on STEM. Uh -huh. You know, um, yeah. in, in so many uh -huh. places. And this, um, I want to give credit where credit's due. I think it's um, Gerd Leonhard. Uh, it was either him or Ian. Uh, um, Ben, I'm drawing blank. Ben Eubanks. Mm -hmm. I'm reading yeah. two books uh -huh. with with that, and he talks about not STEM but core, mm -hmm. and core is uh, creativity. Mm -hmm. Is actually a couple C's: mm -hmm. creativity, compassion, originality, um, uh, responsibility, mm -hmm. and empathy. Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay, I love it. But this, but the skills behind yes. beyond that. Yes. So we're uh, uh, and with that, I'm going to divert uh -huh. you just a second because I know we. I want to make sure we touch this. One of the things that was came upon me a couple of years ago, there was somebody trying to teach empathy and compassion with managers online. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Except yeah. uh -huh. leading into to someone we talked about was uh -huh. AR and uh -huh. VR. Huh. Okay. Which changes yeah. the dynamics, right. and I know that's, very much so. I know you're very passionate uh -huh. about that, and uh -huh. I want to make sure we only have a couple minutes here. Yeah. But what's What's your feelings on, on that? And then we'll see if we can wrap it up with the skills. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so first of all, I think there's a huge opportunity, I think particularly in AR, even more than VR, um, for significant advancements in the way that people learn. VR as well, but when you can make the connection in the AR world between your environment and your workplace and an experience, it brings it to life. So even we, we tend to, a lot of the examples around around AR tend to be um, for physical labor jobs. So whether it's like training of, as a forklift driver and how you're going to navigate the aisles of your uh, of your warehouse, they tend to be physical because VR does bring in your actual environment. So there's a tremendous opportunity and potential there. But there's also been studies that have shown that anything you learn, anything at all, if it's done in your real environment, so even if it's something, let's say empathy, if you have a simulated interaction with another, with an with an artificial human right. that's designed to teach you to designed to teach you empathy, and it's done in your office or in your work environment, there have been studies that show how much more impactful that experience is because it's that much closer to the, to, to real. So, so, so the to virtual me, rea reality, reality is your office. It is, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. And and awesome. and imagine bringing someone to life inside your office to ha to oh, create that amazing. to create that experience for you. And we all know that um, the, we learn so much more rapidly through experience. And you can actually create experiences through yeah. these. Yeah, these real, VR. Real, yeah. Real, I think it's real fascinating. Quick, funny, yeah, real quick, funny story. Just to, to emphasize that, uh, it was probably about a year ago. But my father, uh, my uh, 
my father-in-law, who's uh, now, he was probably 92 at the time. My mother was 94, 95. Um, I have an Oculus Go. Mm-hmm. So we, I wanted to show him, uh-huh. you know, how it was. And it was, uh-huh. it was sort of tricky getting it started at, uh-huh. at the point. Um, I figured they're going to get this thing on and they might get dizzy, you know, yeah. sit down. Make, my, my mother's in it for about a half hour. She gets lost. She's in India, and she's in Africa. And oh, she's watching that's the, so great. And she starts talking to the people. You know, it's like uh-huh, she starts uh-huh. to want to reach out to them. And my father-in-law, who is complete, I mean, my mother at least uses email. Mm-hmm. But my father-in-law is a lot of, I mean, pretty much, and this mm-hmm. isn't a, a bad word, he's a super nice guy. But he, he, he really doesn't uh, use any technology uh-huh. at all, any technology at all. He's in this thing. I mean, he's got the, the headset on for an hour. Wow. He's just wow. amazed. Well, it's very, so, it's but, so accessible. But it goes back to exactly what you say. Yeah. It's, it's there. so accessible. It's real. It's experiential. It's yeah. not... So, yeah. yeah. We, we actually, I, I recorded them doing the headset. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah, it was fun. Um, real quick. Uh-huh. I, we mentioned the core, those mm-hmm. the skills. Uh-huh. Uh, what were what a couple other skills that you would suggest, um, you know, people pick up and learn and <laughs> yeah and you know so the the core is really the, the things that i emphasize most with my sons but i think after that even more than digital fluency i think data fluency so much of our world is data driven today and far too few people really understand or have the the acumen to really deeply be analytical about the data they're reading and they accept it too blindly and i think this goes not just for the next generation it's all generations oh absolutely Um, that's fake um, news right yeah exactly exactly and i think it's so dangerous data can be so powerful but it is also so dangerous and in general i think that skill if we could upskill the entire workforce on that one skill set we would be so much better off there would be I think just better decisions, decision making across the board. Absolutely. Before the show, we talked, what are we going to talk about? How long is it going to be? And I said it's going to go really fast. It's going to be a conversation. And we are literally almost out of time. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was great um, fun. Yeah, we, I, I, we've been talking today on the Geek Skeezers Googleization show with Heidi Spirge, uh the new CMO, uh, Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Cornerstone On Demand. Uh, we're here recording live. Actually, it'll be a recording. <laughs> so let's go to the uh, uh, a mix uh, message there. Uh, but we're recording at the 2019 Cornerstone Convergence Conference. Fascinating co- conference. And now, after talking about AR, can't wait to go back to talk to the Oculus guys. <laughs> you know, and find out. I had a short talk with them last year. Um, how can people get a hold of you, Heidi? Oh, um, yeah. Um, reach reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at h h Spierge or send me shoot me an email at h Spierge at csod.com. Would love and, to hear from any of you. And spell your last name for everybody, just so they know. Yes, <laughs> H is the for Heidi and yeah. Spierge S P I R G I. Okay, so Twitter, LinkedIn. Tw- I know you're on Twitter, on LinkedIn, LinkedIn there. We're, we're, exactly. We're there. And uh, yeah, and keep up and uh, and congratulations. Fantastic! Thank yeah. you so much. This is a joy. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, everyone, too, uh, for for listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Uh, we're always interested in hearing what's on your mind. Let us know how you're doing. If you want to be a guest or a sponsor or just share a few thoughts, uh, check with me, uh, Ira Wolf or Keith Compagna uh, on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, thanks again to Job Fight and Success Performance Solutions. And don't forget to join us next week at uh, on Wednesday, every Wednesday. I'm confused because we're recording this Tuesday. <laughs> but every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY.com. Or you can listen to any of our podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Apple, Apple, Apple Podcasts, 
SoundCloud, Amazon, Alexa, Google Play, you name it, we're on it. Uh, until next episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, this is Ira Wolf. Don't let the shift hit your plans. Thank you.